We live in a referral world, so folks referring people to me always get my attention more than cold outreach. Gaming is not a flash in the pan because kids might not play Fortnite a couple of years from now, but that means nothing to gaming. The part of the equation that a lot of folks that reach out to me are missing is that they're asking, just hire me right off the spot, as opposed to what would you help us build? This is the Work in Sports Podcast. Here's VP of Content and Engage Learning at WorkinSports.com. Brian Clapp. When we consider the role of sports agency, many of us have our minds drift to the tale of Jerry Maguire. Show me the money. This may be sacrilege, but I re-watched that movie recently and was kind of bored. Any scenes with Cuba Gooding Jr., Rob Tidwell, were amazing, and I loved them, but the Tom Cruise scenes were eh, not so much. Anyway, back on track. We have this vision of the sports agent. Contracts, negotiation, schmoozing, glad-handing. And a lot of this is true. But times have changed. Elite athletes used to choose their agents based on their history of signing massive, long-term contracts for other clients. Oh, you helped Pedro Martinez sign a record-breaking contract extension? You're my guy. Let's do this. Right? That was their calling card. That was their business card. Look at what I've done on the contract side. Now athletes are looking deeper into the broader opportunities an agency can provide outside of just their on-the-field contract. Can you help me build my personal brand, my influence? Can you help me get an equity deal with a company I believe in? Can you help me leverage social media, NFTs, names, image, and likeness? Can you help me build a foundation, leave an impact, develop a community? This is not the expertise of Jerry Maguire. Jerry was all about the relationship and the contract. His whole focus throughout that movie was signing Rod to a deal. Today, agency is much bigger than that. Example, Greg Gensky is one of the most successful sports agents of the past few decades, negotiating over $4 billion in player contracts. Greg is a master contract negotiator, extracting amazing deals for his clients. In 2020, Greg took his successful agency and aligned it with Vayner Sports to create Vayner Baseball. Why? Why take what you are doing really, really well and merge with another brand? Because Greg identified the same trend we just spoke of. The demands of the players were changing. It wasn't enough to offer incredible contract skills. You needed more from the marketing and branding side. Enter Gary V and today's guest, Mike Nelligan, CMO of Vayner Sports. All right, Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk, is the CEO of VaynerX and VaynerMedia and is one of the most disruptive forces in social and digital media. He's built a huge brand and following from scratch, becoming an internet celebrity, authored six books, and genuinely tries to change the world one day at a time. Gary loves sports. So in 2016, he built his own sports agency to go along with his media empire. Vayner Sports started out in football, just as a football agency, working with amazing Pro Bowl-level talent like Leonard Williams and Allen Robinson, focused on the contract negotiation side, but also everything outside of that, the the on-the-field, the the off-the-field. When Mike Nelligan came on board as CMO, he brought an amazing background in baseball, having worked with big names like Derek Jeter and Clayton Kershaw. He knew how to market big-time athletes. This creation, Vayner Sports, is becoming the most disruptive and innovative brand in sports agency and marketing. They see the whole athlete, and that is why Greg Gensky came in, and that is why they continue to develop this completely disruptive voice and attack the entire holistic athlete and say, what can we do for them to broaden them today? I am super excited. You can probably hear it in my voice. I am super excited to have CMO of Vayner Sports, Mike Nelligan, on the show. Let's go. Hey, Mike, what's happening? Thanks for a lot for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. This is a cool conversation. I'm excited to talk to you. You know, we um, there's a ton of topics that, that are exciting right now in the world of sports marketing. As I was kind of prepping and going through some of my routine for this interview, I'm reading through names, image, and likenesses stuff, NFTs, social media trends, influencer marketing. Like, there's a lot of fun things happening right now in the world of sports marketing. Through your career, you've been this for a long time. Is this a particularly fun moment with a lot of different new technologies that are going on and opportunities? Yeah, I, you know, I think it. I, I think it is more fun than I probably give it credit to. I think. Um, as much as I love sitting here in my my workout shorts for this and, and <laughs> hey, not having a commute, um, I think fun, it, it can be something that you might want. 
it's a little bit more fun when you celebrate something uh, together. So I think right now there's been fun work. And I think, yes, it's a very exciting time. And you can see this, this trend um, as a lot of sports is starting to change over and the landscape has changed over. But I, I would say I'd be remiss to not say I do miss um, some of the fun that came with having in-person coworkers and, and being in an office and high fives when you uh, when you closed a deal or when you did something fun. So uh, yes and no, that, that might be the, the reverse silver lining here is that that's taken away some of the fun. It's a fair point. It's like there's some cool things going on from a, from a standpoint of like different initiatives and different approaches and techniques, but that whole camaraderie that is the, yes. that is the sports industry is kind of gone right now, so, or at least different. So I, I can totally appreciate that. Okay, so let's get into your background a little bit before we get dig any deeper to where we are now. Graduated from Penn State with a degree in sports journalism, but most of your career has been with sports agencies, more on the marketing side, sales side a little bit. What led you away? What was that moment that kind of led you away from sports journalism and said, man, maybe that's not the right match for me. I'm going to move over this way instead. Yeah, I think what's real interesting is that uh, my joke is that I, uh, I always wanted to be more Dom Draper than Jerry Maguire. So mm-hmm. I ended up in, in the sports world and, and, and I get the Jerry Maguire thing once a week for the last 20 years of my life. Uh, but the, the sports marketing side of the creative side. The, the dream job going into Penn State was a company called Hill & Knowlton, old school ad agency that did the This Is Sports Center commercials and oh, the yeah. Nike commercials. And so when I showed up at Penn State, ad and PR is a very, very broad subject in the college communications. And the first couple classes were in 500 person auditoriums. And I said, oh, okay, I, you know, I'm someone that probably would do a little bit better in a smaller group. I don't know if I'm going to flourish in, in, a, in a class with 500 and in a major with this many people. So I ended up transitioning from advertising and marketing, the creative side of it, to journalism, which I never really set out to go and be a writer. I didn't yeah. want to be putting the microphone in front of the losing pitcher, asking them why they blow the game. But I wanted to be in sports. And traditional advertising and traditional PR didn't have as much of a sports focus at Penn State. There were no sports management backgrounds and and degrees at that point. Sports was not a program, even as big of a sports school as Penn State was. So my uh, academic advisor mentioned the sports journalism program, and I was the first ever class to graduate with the degree. And I hoped, and it ended up working out, that that specific uh, narrow focus on sports would, would open the door in that industry. But I never wanted to be a journalism major. However, I lean on it more than ever in this day and age where as much as in-person matters, as much as being able to communicate over the phone matters, as much as public speaking still matters, being able to craft the narrative in a proposal, being able to follow up yes. properly, being able to just communicate via email is something that when I was going to college, email was certainly important, but it was not the way to do business that it is now. In the first few years of my career, I was cold calling companies. I cold e- email now. I don't really cold mm-hmm. call. I haven't left a voicemail in <laughs> quite some time. <laughs> That's so, so true. The written word is very important. And so I do lean on that journalism degree significantly. And I also find it's, it's super helpful um, crafting the pitch and being a salesperson And all of us in the business world are selling, but being an agent, you're selling through recruiting. I'm selling when I'm speaking to a brand on why they should work to us. And a journalist, they have to actually be able to communicate effectively to show you the story. And while you can talk about today's journalism and the, the bias that exists, certainly in the political landscape, I really do lean on that background that I learned. So I would never knock anybody um, from pursuing a journalism degree. I think it was super helpful and it's played a role in, in my entire career. It's such a lost art, too. It really is. The communication, I mean, I, I work with a lot of college-age students, and I'm surprised mm-hmm. in this day and age that as the communication happens between us, when it's not on video, and there's emails, communications, questions being asked or whatever, and there's just such a problem with communicating. And I'm not trying to act like the old man saying, get off my lawn or anything like that, but I, there is. There is like a, is. There is a base foundation that is missing, and I'm, I'm glad that you point out that this writing and this technique pervades everything you do. I mean, it's going to be out there. Just like we talk about sales isn't everything. You're always selling yourself. You're always writing too. You are always writing, writing. You're even writing your own notes to, to then help you in the future when you've taken a call or when you, even if you're following along on this and you're trying to learn to be able to proper note taking journalists are really good note takers because they're able to discern it down, put it down and and regurgitate it in the future. So yes, I think it, it is a lost art. I also find, um, that the communication element, it, you, like you said, sales isn't everything. 
But being able to show that you've learned something and now you're able to communicate effectively, I can't tell you how many uh, folks reach out for potential job opportunities. Hey, I'm interested in working with you. And, I, and they've spelled our, the name of our company wrong. And in journalism, grammar is one, right? That's yeah. still, the truth oh, yeah. is number one facts. Is, but so I, I don't think I've pressed send and I'm quite busy and I'm moving a million miles an hour and I still read before I send what I was going to write. And I can't tell you if you spell my name wrong, if you spell the name of my company wrong, that outreach is going to be deleted because it shows your right. lack to detail and that I wouldn't be able to trust you with communication. It drives me nuts. It's like people forget that email is also a first impression or any kind of written communication or anything is a first impression. We talk about first impressions, obviously being honest, a lot of times being face to face. And that's when you're first you know, thought that somebody gets about you. But if I, re- like you're saying, if I receive an email from somebody and it's junk, that's a first impression. Correct. You've made a personal brand impression in this moment and I'm discounting you already. What I talk about with my team often is in person, you have the advantage of smiles, potentially being attractive, wearing good clothes, et cetera. You have other elements outside of just the words you choose to speak in person. Whereas when you send that email, when you're just a, your tone is lost. And that's why there's so much miscommunication. Is yeah. this person mad at me when they, when they send an email that comes off stern because you don't see the, the tilt of the eye yeah, go yeah. up or the, or the twinkle of the smile. So yes, I, I do think it's even more important to be able to craft that narrative. An unbelievably good, well-written note to me will get responded. Yeah. And one that's not will likely not. Yeah. It's funny. We don't need to go any deeper down this path, but I always tell people too, it's like, Somebody will connect with me on LinkedIn and before I've ever talked to them, know anything about them, they'll write me like seven paragraphs of their life story <laughs> in a messenger. And it's like, take it up the whole screen. And I'm like, yeah, that's not a good start no. either. <laughs> Can we start out with hi? I'm such and such. By the it. time we're off this call, I will have three of those. In my <laughs> oh yeah, I right guarantee. I, know, I guarantee you get more, more of them than I do. Yeah. I could do okay, a so coffee let's table. The, let's keep going down your history a little bit. So for a little over 10 years, you worked at some powerful sports agencies. Hendrick Sports Management, Excel Sports Management. Mm-hmm. When you got onto that side and you started yeah. dealing with pro athletes, Clayton yeah. Kershaw, Jared Jeter, some of these amazing athletes or icons in the game, what were those big eye-opening moments when you were like, oh, so this is what it's like to be yeah. on the agency and marketing side? Like This, this is the, the real world. The thing that I think people will probably be surprised to hear is actually that they're, they're human beings just as we are. And, and, and I won't speak specifically about Derek or Clayton. I'll speak more broadly about the yeah. 500 plus pro athletes that I've, I've worked with. They have their own insecurities. They have their own family issues, dynamics, et cetera. They have their own upbringings that uh, remind me sometimes how blessed I was coming from a loving family, being able to have a college education, being able to go through some of the things and the life learnings that I had as much as they can dunk a basketball or throw a baseball extremely fast, they might have a disconnect that society typically would frown upon if not for that unbelievable athletic ability. So I think that's the biggest eye-opening part is that as a kid, and Derek's older than me as a kid, and De- Derek's aside, because to me, he's still he's different. the <laughs> good and yeah. he's the greatest human being I've ever worked with, met, et cetera. Sure. But so as many of the other, fan, I can even say that. <laughs> fair enough, right? <laughs> so many of these other ones to, to be able to think like Derek, when I was a kid, oh my goodness, right? And yeah. then once you start working with some of the athletes, you start to realize these guys are, are they're regular guys, they're regular yeah. and gals too that I worked with. And and they, again, they have their own insecurities. They have their own egos. And so I joke, uh, the Jerry Maguire joke is, is one, but I also say all the time, if I could go back, I'd keep the journalism degree, but I would get a minor in psychology because yeah. being able to manage the egos of all the different walks of life that I've worked with and basketball to football, to baseball, to a pitcher, to a, a cleanup hitter, uh, the brain, the ego, their personalities are quite different. And so I think that's something that I've learned the most in my, my time working with professional athletes. I was uh, executive producing a show with Sean Alexander, who was the NFL MVP for the Seahawks. And fantasy stud. Oh my gosh, he was so good. (laughs) Anyway, same story though. Like I got to know him pretty well, but over a period of time, like at first you go from thinking this is Sean Alexander to being like, this is my buddy, Sean. And he would come in and he'd be talking to me about like on a Monday after a game and he'd be like, he ran, you know, 12 carries for 28 yards and was all bummed out. And he'd be like, just like depressed and down. Yep. And you're like, this is just a guy having a struggle in life Correct. that you just can talk it through with. You know, it's, it's amazing when you get to that level. So when you started at Vayner, mm-hmm. you were executive vice president, 
October 2019, you get named there. Vayner Sports was just a football agency. Great. One of your first moves to res- was to recruit Major League Baseball agent Greg Gensky to launch Vayner Baseball. Yep. Why baseball? Was this just your personal comfort level, or was there upside and opportunity that you kind of identified for Vayner? Was it a kind of an untapped market? Yeah, it's a, it's a few different reasons. It's, it's both that you shared, but um, I think the short answer is the economics of baseball are fantastic. So this is a business at the end of the day, and just the lack of a salary cap and a number of other reasons specifically to baseball. Baseball is a really good business model if you could do it at a high level. Uh, typically, folks with Greg Gensky's resume who would come in, change the name of his agency to call it Vayner Baseball and bring his team with him. Uh, those people don't typically grow on trees. They're not typically available. So Scott Boris is not just around to go and, and bring over, right? He owns his own company. Greg owns his own. Uh, but the conversations actually started with Greg about me potentially going there prior to me coming to Vayner because of my baseball background. Greg and I had kind of battled and recruited against each other for most of my career. And we always had a bit of a affection for each other on what we were yep. doing, what he was doing with CC Sabathia, what I was doing with Clayton. And so uh, we started having the conversation. I joined Gary and AJ and I said, instead of me coming there, what would your thoughts be about coming here? And it actually was just a match made in heaven. The biggest part, the Gary and AJ side of the business, what they were currently missing was just that, that big heavy hitter negotiator who had been in the business for a long time. Greg's a litigator, uh, one of the best in the business. There's really no one that you could say has done the billions of contracts that Greg's done in his career, his relationships with ownership, et cetera. So it wasn't even specifically just to go about baseball, but it was actually to get someone with Greg's clout as our co-CEO to balance the company because we were doing great things in football and we were continuing to grow. But at the end of the day, it was a young company. And so to be able to go out and make a meaningful, meaningful impact quickly, we needed someone with Greg's resume. Um, and it's just been, it's been night and day what he's been able to do for us. Okay, so let's flip it around then. Greg's got a successful agency. He's doing $4 billion in player contracts over his career. What's that pitch to him? Like, how do you guys, what's the yep. superpower of Vayner Sports to be able to say, hey, when you come here, here's what we can do better than anybody else. How did you guys articulate that to him and make that value add? The difference is, when I started my career, you had a 20-page recruiting deck for a Clayton, 2007 high school, 18 pages about record contracts with Andy Pettit, Roger Clemens, et cetera, two pages, the my pages, trading cards, memorabilia, yeah. Under Armour. Today's contracts, today's uh, recruiting decks, 20 pages, two pages about record contracts, 18 pages about brand building, PR, NFTs, uh, everything that exists in that world. So. These athletes are much more attracted to what Gary and AJ and the Vayner world have done over the last 10 years, early stage investing, having a board seat versus just cash deals. Uh, The traditional, uh, I'll pitch Pepsi because why not? And they'll pay me a lot of money to, I'll start my own beverage company. That has changed over the last 10 years. That's why I left the big agency because I saw the change in the direction and I wanted to go be a part of young enough to say, I want to go do this for the next 30 years. Who can I go build something special with? And Greg understood that. And not to say he's in the weeds on the marketing side of the business, but for him to say, let me bring all of that clout that you just talked to and marry it with all of that clout over there. And that's why I said it's a match made in heaven. It lines up pretty well. I I read a press release when Vayner Baseball was announced and, and Gary basically said, Greg handles the negotiating skills and the contracts. Gary and AJ do the disruption. And Mike equals successful marketing of high-profile athletes. And it's like, sounds like a pretty clear plan. I mean, it all makes sense when you line it up. So since you are the expert on that side, marketing the high-profile athletes, you started to touch on a little bit, but what do they want and expect from their representation in today's market? And how does that compare to when you first got into the industry? Yeah. uh, So marketing for the first, so uh, again, I'm 38, let's say for the first 22 to 30, those first eight years, marketing was very much a retention tool. Um, we'll use mm-hmm. someone like Clayton as an example. You you want to do enough marketing for Clayton. It's not about the revenue you're going to make from commissions off of the deals. It's not even about the money he's going to make doing those deals. It's just an ego stroke in many ways to keep him around till he gets that massive long-term Dodgers contract. That's the economics of baseball. And so again, marketing being a retention tool, it was very much client services focused, but also oh, here's an opportunity with a brand you like, and let's find let's find a way to partner you together but it's going to be a little bit more of a cash grab. Now these days, it's 
not a brand you like, it's your own brand. It's actually building each athlete's individual brand. And there's a fully 360 encompassing approach to do that. That starts with what are the brand, your brand interests, which is similar to what the past was. Where are there uh, pillars that you stand for, whether you're humanitarian, whether you're a Christian, whether you're a family man, whether you have business aspirations outside of the field or off the court? And how can we marry all those together through PR, content strategy, which when I started, Facebook was a, a kid's thing. And now it's grandma and grandpa's thing, but Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, everything else. And so social is obviously so important. And so for someone like Gary, who has almost 10 million followers on Instagram. It's crazy. And does not throw a baseball very fast and cannot talk to <laughs> basketball. He could probably catch a football, but he'd be the first to say, you know, he, it's not because of athletic ability. Um, and he, and he's, and no, nor because he's a model, but because he's found this narrative to be able to provide value to his audience and double down, triple down on that over the course of his career. Yeah. It's being able to figure out how can we authentically build your brand so that you can accomplish, you can take advantage of your professional career to accomplish the things you want to accomplish, which may or may not be uh, setting up your post-career, which most athletes for the first 50, last 50 years, were not thinking about. It was just make as much money as I possibly can now. And when I'm retired, I'll be a coach, I'll be a broadcaster. Well, there are, are a finite amount of broadcaster jobs. And so every athlete now is starting to think about what can I do post-career and how can some of these business aspirations that I have and what can I take advantage of the, during my career to uh, not even from a, from a financial standpoint, but even just to keep my brain engaged when I'm done playing standpoint. So you mentioned it in there a little bit, but I think the, it seems like the word of the year is authenticity, right? <laughs> We're talking about that of constantly. It's like the, the big uh, every year, but yeah. the big buzzword, especially yeah. it's funny. Cause I always think of, I go back to myself growing up like in the 80s and picturing like Wade Boggs standing on the diamond and he'd be reading cue cards were clearly up just above the camera about some local Ford dealership and he's like saying it and is like broken, just not very good. It was completely inauthentic. You know that he was just out there reading it Correct. and moving on with the rest of his day. And so now it appears, at least from the outside, that there is this differentiation between, hey, whoever pays gets to play and instead going towards who are your, the athletes really passionate about? What brands do they use? What do they care about? Is that that kind of distinction now where it's, it's, yeah. it's like a lot of upfront work to figure out like where is the actual authentic match? I actually think it's less upfront work because okay. it used to be about the dollars. So it used to be the old adage was the model doesn't get out of bed for less than $10,000. So it used yeah. to be, oh, well, this athlete was a two-time all-star. And so they're not going to do this deal unless it's a certain price per signature or a certain price per day for a production shoot. It's much now more, who is, the, who is this brand start trying to speak to from an audience perspective? What is this brand KPI? And what is the athlete's KPI? And we don't think too often about an athlete's own KPI, but what type of message are you trying to get out? So Justin Turner, who's a, an all-star with the Dodgers, who I work closely with, Justin you can edit this whenever this is going to come out. Justin will be announced either later today or tomorrow, the fourth time Roberto Clemente award nominee for the Dodgers. Wow. So every deal that I have, a, that, that is the humanitarian award of baseball. I was able, fortunate enough when I worked with Clayton, Clayton won the award and I did seven figures multiple times over for Clayton's foundation for a number of years. So Justin, a big focus, it's not just about, Hey, Justin, do you like this beverage? Let's get you a right. bag of cash to promote it. It's also, is this product, is this brand going to lift some of what your humanitarian efforts are with the Dream Center in LA, et cetera? And speaking specifically about Justin, I think he's a really good test case. Justin had previous representation before Greg came over, brought Justin with him. So I've been working with him for about a year. And during that time, he changed his diet. And that's something that I've gone through in my career. And it's, so it's super authentic and, yeah. and top of mind for me. And so Justin and I have just had many late night conversations about some of the changes, some of what he's found. So he went dairy free. So you talk about authentic. It's not just, hey, do you like this product? It actually fits his lifestyle. And we've done an investment with a company, Ripple, which is a dairy free pea protein milk beverage. They make an ice cream, et cetera. He did the whole 30 diet. So we went out and created a first of its kind Whole 30 meal plan that had never been done before with an LA-based meal delivery company. So they are they're tapping into his social audience and his affinity that he's a Dodgers World Series champion. And he's actually, he's not just an ambassador, 
he's been hired by the company as the head of sports wellness. He has a title within the organization and him and his wife have launched this product. And that's talk about authenticity. That's not just, Hey, Pepsi's the official baseball sponsor. So I'm just positioning a sugar beverage. It's much more, I went this health and wellness route towards the end of my career. And this is the message that I want to promote. And and what an opportunity opened up for some of these brands too, because I would think if a guy like Justin is passionate about what they're doing and it aligns with who he is, it's less about the bag of cash and more about this is the whole picture for me. And I would think for a lot of these, these companies and brands, when they can align the right way, that there's opportunities for them to grow and everybody wins too. So unfortunately, there's all walks of life. There's a, the, the, the name influencer speaks to everyone with a, a mobile phone and a social account these yeah, days. There are still a significant amount of athletes, musicians, and celebrities, entertainers, influencers that are focused on the top dollar. And I don't blame them because get your money and take advantage of what you can. There are less that can that care less about the money. Justin is someone um, who's starting to finish this new category of if I'm going to align with a product, I want skin in the game. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is the most compelling reason why I joined Gary and AJ outside of the social chops and everything that they stood for and this disruption that you talked to is their unbelievable success in early stage investing. And not just silent investing, which many athletes that I have worked with who have nine figures in the bank after their playing career have said, sure, here, yeah, I'll put a million dollars in a seed fund, angel investor, and they don't have anything to do with it. But for Justin to actually stroke a check with a brand, sit on the board, actually say, hey, as a professional athlete, here are some of the things we would want. You're trying to speak to my audience and you're a bunch of older men running a company that may not be thinking about the the end consumer. And so I think we're having this conversation with our 18-year-old video game athlete as well. How can you get skin in the game as opposed to just pay to play on a cash deal? Now, you still want to do a, a number of those cash deals to get to the point where you have some play money to invest, but we're having a lot more, more than ever in my career, sweat equity, strike option, um, you know, really cool. match typing uh, investments in a lot of these brands. And so that's really where it works for the brand because now what brand doesn't need to raise funds, but also they're, they're going to have a, an ambassador that's a lot more incentivized than, oh, well, in the deliverables for this contract, yeah. it says, I only have to post twice, so screw you. <laughs> Unless you pay me more money, I'm not going to post a third time. Now you actually have a real partner because they have financial skin. They're, they're really, truly invested. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So social media disruption, overall excellence is definitely a trademark for the Vayner brand. Um, but I wonder how much social has changed over the years with the athletes. I was thinking this the other day, top athletes in 2012, let's say, or Clayton, 20, 2007. Nope. They didn't grow up with social media quite the same way. So they had to be taught. They had to be trained. They had to understand the importance of it. They had to build their brand and their following. Or have someone do it for them. Well, that's what I was going to say. Or have somebody do it for them. But athletes today, they grew up with it. They probably have their own thoughts on how it should be, what they want their brand to be. It's second nature to them. They know how to do all this stuff. Does that make it harder or easier to work with them? Because it's still an important channel. It's extremely important. It's more important than ever. I I haven't done a deal in more than five years that didn't include a social component to it. And so Derek, Peyton Manning, Marcus Mariota, I, I, you know, I've been around long enough that a number of former clients didn't have social and it was starting to become a, a pain point. Yeah. Now, Derek, he wasn't looking for deals that, that you know, he was going to post with, but at some point Tiger, Tiger joined social as well, right? It wasn't just yeah. for the brands, but there's a right. significant amount of value. Uh, one thing that I think people forget about is that as we've talked about, you know, there's all walks of life, all personalities, all insecurities, not every athlete feels comfortable sharing. Yeah. And they think what we all thought when Twitter came out, I don't care, Brian, what you had for lunch. Why are you tweeting about your tuna sandwich? Well, that mentality still exists. And, and there's, no, there's no profession that I know of outside of maybe the military where there's no ribbing, make fun of, than the, the, the sports locker room. And so a lot of them second and triple guess if I post this, am I going to get made fun of? So yeah, I would say it's actually not easier because they know what they're doing. It's actually, it still produces insecurities that they get a little gun shy more than you think. So we are fortunate enough that the folks that typically join us have a little bit of an understanding of social. They probably already followed Gary. We typically don't have someone who joins Vayner sports and doesn't know who Gary V is, but yes, I've, you know, at the last agency working with athletes that, 
um, were super gun shy or not. It wasn't authentic to post or they haven't posted in six months. That hurts the conversations we're having with brands. Yeah, I'm sure. It is, it's just fascinating to me, the whole mix. And I mean, spend any minute watching replies or comments to things. You can understand why athletes feel gun shy sometimes. I mean, like it is a cruel, cruel world out there. Turn the comments off. Turn, oh, don't turn it off. Them. Don't look no at your no mentions or anything. Just every, like, every, I've more than ten have gotten death threats that have been MLB security or NFL security yeah. has had to look into because they had an error or struck out. I mean, it, it's sad. It's, it's so ridiculous. It's, it's like a commentary on society, but that's a that's no, a whole so other conversation. That's why I work <laughs> in sports and not politics. Oh my gosh! Trust me, I had that decision making as I went through my journalism career too. It was like, nope, I'm going to stick with sports. Thank you very much. Not as many body bags and other problems. Okay, so names, image, and likeness. This, for the last few months, I've had a ton of conversations, different guests on the show. I think it's fascinating. I love it. I've been tracking it like crazy. But most of the conversations I've had to date have been from the student-athlete perspective, like what they can expect, what this trend is like, how their engagement's going to work, et cetera, how it's going to play out. But I want to flip this around a little bit. Let's take it a different direction. What does this new opportunity mean for brands, in your view? Well, there's a super... Uh, super valuable early mover advantage for the brands that have jumped in already. Um, we, uh, I, so in addition to the talent division, I launched a consulting division uh, just a few months ago. And we work with Dr. Pepper, Bojangles, um, a number of others that were set to announce. And so for Dr. Pepper, they signed our client, DJ Uyagale, the Clemson quarterback into a national quarterback. And DJ, uh, you know, you can't go wrong with the Clemson quarterbacks, considering <laughs> who the last one was, right? Yeah. And he's, you know, Heisman frontrunner, projected first-round pick in two years. But the amount of buzz and earned media they got was astronomical because they were able to include him. And this is their fourth year they've done Fans Fill, which is their creative concept that runs. And if you watched any college football this past weekend, you couldn't miss the commercial. And so it's just, it for brands, there's that early mover advantage. There's also the... Uh, there's a really interesting touch point that there is some bit of cause marketing that you can tap into as opposed to these are not, DJ and, and some college football and college basketball player in many ways. It's these are guys that are going to have made money in a couple of years in the pros that they're just getting that endorsement money early. There are some that are going to be able to take advantage that they've been a part of a big school with a big following like a Clemson, Ohio state, Notre Dame. But there are a lot of brands that can actually do that they wouldn't be able to do with pro athletes where everyone kind of understands you're a pro athlete. You're making more money than most of us are because it's all public knowledge what your contract was signed for. So to work with the female, the women's basketball player, the men's gymnastics, some of these non you know, superstar sports, there is the ability to tap into audiences, the younger demo, certainly through TikTok. We've been advising a lot of these brands, the non-basketball, non-football client athletes that we don't represent that have massive followings, massive influence. And uh, we also look at it as an arbitrage play, just in the fact that because this landscape is completely new, there's not set pricing just yet. So as you said, there's that, oh, okay, or as I even said that, you know, not going to get out of bed for $10,000. Baseball players, they all talk, oh, Nike pays you this. Oh, okay. Well, they kind of have an understanding what that is here. There is an arbitrage play that there is a lot more. There's 117 schools times 12 probably programs at each school. There's just more athletes that you can tap into than Olympic athletes, than professional baseball players or football players. So I think from that perspective, you can get a big message out and you create a significant amount of branded content at uh, a lot better price tag than you would on traditional sports. And then lastly, there's that connection to you know, you look at the regions and, and the facts that you can go work with a retailer in Lincoln, Nebraska to go work with a Nebraska women's volleyball player mm-hmm. outside of maybe Patrick Mahomes down the block in Kansas City. There's no one that's going to be more authentic and have bigger reach in Lincoln, in that part of Nebraska. Yet the Royals, the Chiefs, et cetera, you go to the you know Tobacco Road and sh- or even you go to Atlanta, a true metropolis, and it's. Georgia football one, Falcons and Braves two and three, and and Hawks and much lower, lower. So I I think to be able to talk uh, without having to pay NFL rates to be able to go work with some some big names, 
and create some fun content with them at the same time. It is cool. It's like it opened up the playing field for a lot of these smaller brands or, you know, get some regional chain that has 13 stores, whatever. They can get in this game now, right? They can, if it's $10,000, you got a bed for X person. Well, it's probably a lot cheaper to get the offensive lineman of Georgia, right? So it just opens up a whole playbook and then you can do volume deals. And all of a sudden this starts to grow pretty fast and it's all pretty exciting. One strategy I didn't see coming that I think is really cool. It stood out to me was the people using it almost as a public relations arm too. It was like the Florida Panthers offering uh, NIL deals for all FAU female student athletes, built brands doing full tuition NIL deals for walk-on football players. I mean, at, at BYU, they do these deals and they're getting crazy, crazy positive press for it. So it was less about the revenue and more about the brand buzz. Right. And I was like, that's pretty genius. The media behind this has been unbelievable. It's like it sparked a lot of creativity within people, too, to be like, oh, hey, let's try well, this. It's, it's been such a buzzword. I mean, yeah. it's all I'm asked about. I mean, we've done a lot of good work over the last of 2021, and I'm asked nine out of 10 questions are about NIL right now because that's why there's the early market advantage. I, I think it will die down a little bit over the next couple of years. Um, I think it stole some of gaming's thunder, and I think why because everyone was talking gaming, but a lot of folks have never watched Twitch. They don't understand it. Even if their kids play video games, they think it's just for kids. Similar to, oh, Facebook is for kids. Until everyone had social media, most people didn't fully understand social media and the business practices and, and the advertising. And I mean, the fact that social media went this on, on media dollars and traditional media went down. I think of gaming and I all came because a lot of decision makers, a lot of C-suite are former student athletes or yep. they went, everyone can wrap their head around. Oh, I went to that school. My buddy played tennis at Duke so they can wrap their head. It's a lot more understandable and approachable. And I do think that's part of why there's been a big jump into the deep end of the pool quickly by a lot of brands. Okay. So I was going to ask you, but you just kind of alluded to it. Where are we a year from now? Do you think there is a it's a, a descending growth curve and this is just a kind of big burst of excitement right now? Or does this have more staying power? No, I think it's I think there's a tremendous amount of staying power. I, I don't know if the if you have a growth curve. I think what you're gonna end up seeing is brands are gonna be smart and strategic. They are gonna go after that arbitrage play and that volume model play where they're gonna start to understand we're spending. 25 million in media, let's carve out a hundred grand, which is pennies of a $25 million media budget and use it as influencer marketing at, at these select schools with these select um, storylines and potentially creating legacy plays. But the, the fun and the bad part of it is everybody enters into this marriage knowing you're going to graduate in a year or two years or maybe three and this is a short term, we're going to work with you. It's not that Tom Brady, Under Armour, 20-year partnership, right. Tiger Woods, Nike thing. So there is the opportunity to go and, and work with an athlete once again, once he's in the pros, but you need to do a new deal. But so I do think there will be staying power from that perspective. I also think you're just going to see brands, they're just going to reallocate, again, those media dollars to be able to go after this so that they can say, here's what we're doing in NIL because I think similar to a brand that's not on Instagram advertising or not mm -hmm. on out of home, or I just think it's going to be another traditional medium for advertisers to be able to spend on. And I think they're just going to carve out, we're going to get to a point where they all carve out a certain percentage of what their uh, ad dollars are to do. If, if they want to speak to that specific audience. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Does this change a lot of the approach and strategy from the agency side too? I mean, just everything's happening faster and younger and i mean is it is it like i mean from from where you started to where you are now i mean you used to be you had to wait to a certain point and now it's like there's some more gray area there does it does it does it change your overall approach to who those targets are and how you get to them yeah it, it definitely helps us from a uh date before marriage perspective so yeah. an agent, an athlete can terminate an agent at any point, And that's why there's poaching and jumping around. And it, it's, it's set up for that reason. So the athlete can have the right representation. And so this gives us the opportunity and, and our competitors in the same right, the ability to go in and prove our value and produce what we've said and build a rapport and build a relationship that hopefully would carry over to the professional ranks. I think, um, you know, it expedites the, the folks that we've signed in football already for NIL 
we would have are they were on our attack list two years ago anyway for yeah. for this coming upcoming draft and any good agency knows who they want three or yeah. four years out anyway and then you wait and see if they produce what they're projected to produce so i don't think it changes our approach i think it's a great people have used the term trojan horse i think it's not even i think it's just it's a it's an extra set of keys i don't even think it's a yeah. sneaky way and i think it's a pretty apparent hey we are really good at marketing We've yeah. built an unbelievable shop around marketing in many ways to our detriment prior to Greg coming that those guys are just marketing guys. They don't know how to do the on-field contract stuff. And now we're able to say, well, marketing really does matter. And NIL, that's all we can do for you now. And if we're as good as we say we are, let us go prove it. So I do think it's, uh, it's giving us the opportunity to shine what we're best at. That's really cool. So as I mentioned off the top, there's a lot of different topics that are going on in sports marketing right now. We talked a lot about some of the equity deals and NIL. What else piques your interest right now? What else is happening out there, whether it's NFTs or anything else that is kind of like, all right, this is kind of cool and I see this going somewhere. Yeah, Gary would Gary will be upset if I don't say NFTs, but we'll we'll hold on NFTs just because we are in the early stages. <laughs> you can explain it to yeah. me afterwards. And there's no, probably a that's probably a full conversation. I do believe I actually have real baseball cards behind me, so I'm that old. And as you saw, my I've started my professional career at top, so I'm a I'm yeah, a trading card that. guy as well. I do think NFTs for brands interest me, but I do believe um, what's what I've learned the most where I feel like I'm just a little bit of ahead of the curve on is just from our representation of a, of a high, high profile gamer, the amount of dollars that I've, we've been able to, to, to create for him and that he's been able to create in this gaming space, but these the influence and, and really the community of gaming versus uh, you know, the demographics of baseball, I think the economics of baseball are still great. I think baseball, we've been talking about it for the last, I've been in my whole career, we've been talking about it for the last number of years. It, it, you know, the demo of baseball is getting older and do they not have the attention of the younger audience? Gaming is not a flash in the pan because a lot of folks think of the game itself like a Fortnite. Fortnite might already be dying and yeah. kids might not play Fortnite or an adults might not play Fortnite as soon as a couple of years from now. But that, that means nothing to gaming because something else replaces it in that ecosystem of gaming. And so I think um, I've been really fascinated about the valuations of these team organizations and the influence that gamers bring. So uh, for someone who doesn't play, doesn't, was not a fan from a strictly business perspective from my career, the biggest drawback has just been, the lack of fandom I now have uh, talk about the only thing I had left was Penn state football. And now I'm working with one of the best guys on Ohio state. <laughs> oh, it ruins it. Right. It was one thing when I started being a Yankee fan, having Red Sox fans, but you know, your fandom uh, goes when you spend this long and, and it's oh, yeah. a business, but I think I have had no fandom in gaming. So I've approached it in a business sense and I've been fascinated to just, I have so much more respect for the community that is and, and the reach that it has. It's much broader than most decision makers think. And the demos, I imagine most decision makers think it's 80% young, 12 to 20 yeah. boys in their parents' basement. Yeah. It's not. It's 50% female. It is a lot older than you think. It's a lot higher median income than you think. It's And, and COVID only expedited it just because it was the only game in town to yeah. do um, so the participation's there as well. That's cool. Then, yeah. I, I think, um, I, I'm a really big fan though of, we talked about the equity side, but just athletes that are business men, women, um, I've been fortunate enough to work with a few that, that they just had such good playing careers that they could afford the ability to go and do it. But I'm bullish on one or two of our athletes. Uh, I mean, I think for some folks to say George Foreman was a boxer. I only know him from the grill. Like that's a kind of a joke, but I think uh, I was fortunate enough to work with Kevin Love. And the joke is he's sometimes known more for being the face of mental health and sports than he is for being an NBA champion who played with LeBron. And so that's probably what gets me the most excited is working with a few folks that can transcend the stick and ball aspect of what they play and more so what they become as a human being, I think is the most exciting, whether it be business, humanitarian focused, et cetera. That's really cool. No, I get it. That's, that's super. It's just, it's important. And it's, it's nice to hear too, that there's that, that attitude towards that. And you're right, Kevin Love, I mean, I've followed him his entire career, but I think of him that way first now too. 
Um, we'll finish up with this, and I'm so appreciative of your time. This has been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed it. I know the audience will as well. So our audience, as I mentioned before we got started, is comprised of a lot of young people trying to get their way in the sports industry. And one of the hardest aspects of getting into sports is getting noticed, like right? standing out from the crowd, all that kind of stuff. Your guy, Gary Vee, pretty good at disruptive tactics, getting known, getting his name out there. So from your perspective, if somebody wanted to get started in sports marketing, how do they go that extra mile? How do they stand out, but still in a, rep, a reputable and professional manner? What do you look for when you start, like when you're looking to hire, what is that kind of suite of skills or, or perspective or approach that you're looking for? What stands out to you? Yeah, unfortunately, resumes don't stand out anymore. Um, we, we, were, we live in a referral world. So folks referring people to me always get my attention more than cold outreach. Uh, what I've learned about myself, I didn't set out for this, but it's where I found my success as a, as a marketer who could sell or just as a salesperson focused on revenue is I've really become a resource for brands. And I, I create this authentic partnership instead of selling you the athlete that I represent, I figure out what you're looking for. And if it's not my athlete, I help build a solution for you with something else I have. It's really why I've been successful always being a part of a multi faceted approach where if you don't want to sign Justin Turner, but you're a Dodgers partner, well, now I maybe could bring property consulting or or sponsorship consulting to you and help you figure out how to properly activate your Dodger partnership. Yeah. Being a resource is what I look for. And so I don't care that you want to mop the floors. I don't need you to, I, I don't need you to clean the toilets. Someone already does that. I mean, you want to come to my house and clean my house? Sure, that'll get my attention. <laughs> we can have that conversation. But you don't have to clean. Like, what, what are you talking about? You're going to mop the floor. I don't understand this joke of I'm going to mop the floors. That does nothing for me. But hey, Mike, I noticed you represent so-and-so. I noticed there's a gap in his portfolio of endorsements that he doesn't have a beverage. I noticed that this beverage. So you guys listening, provide value. Be a resource. And, oh, well, you don't know that he doesn't have a beverage. That's okay. But to be able to, I really appreciate the people. I had a guy reach out and said, I understand the economics don't make sense, but I, you know, I'm a rugby player. And I, I'm, I think this would, this is why Vayner sports should be looking at rugby. Mm-hmm. I don't, I've never spent one second thinking about or watching rugby. And I, I read his email and I spoke to him and we're not going to proceed, but it was the right approach because he brought value as opposed to, Hey, you guys are doing fun stuff. I like fun stuff. Hire me. Mm -hmm. That does not, that, that gets ignored, unfortunately. And there's so many nice, great people that reach out. Unfortunately, a lot of people get referred to me and then that's their approach. Hey, I like fun stuff. I like sports. Can I, I think it's where, what value. And so to give you kind of a quick real story on, on my background, the reason I got the doubt tops was because I created my own magazine at Penn State and as a journalism major. And I didn't learn how to write. I learned how to create something. I learned how to build a product. I learned how to sit in the computer lab at Penn State until the sun came up, moving the indentation and margins around. And I built pride into my own product. And then I built, I learned sales to be able to go to the alumni board or whoever I had to, the student board and say, can you give us a thousand dollars to print these so we can put them around the dorms? I built a business and I learned a ton there. That got me the job at Tops for entry-level pennies. At Tops, instead of doing my day job, I then stayed after and I said to the CMO at the time, I'm, I'm passionately interested in marketing. Can I learn from you? Here's the things I'll do. He let me hang around. After a year, Roger Clemens came in and his agent was hiring at Hendricks and who do you think they're going to recommend all the guys that do work from eight 30 to four 30 on the dot and leave. And, or the guy that's sticking around volunteering his time to learn about marketing and doing above and beyond. And so that's a, uh, that makes me sound so conceited to even tell that story sometimes, no, but it's I, honest. It, that's yeah, and, and that like, I don't, I don't do it now. I work until midnight now because I have to, to get things done. Yeah. I didn't have to then, but that initiative is just something that helped me. And the folks that reach out with the seven paragraph, I played lacrosse in high school. I don't care that you played lacrosse. How does that help me? But hey, I have this idea or I have this research. That's what Gary's, everyone says, well, Gary says to take my shot. Yeah, his, the shot is to provide value. A good shot. The reason that Gary is so beloved is that he's given away free value for 12 years. He doesn't ask for anything in return. Now he gets your, you to follow him and a lot of people do, 
But Gary's never asked for anything. And so I think that's the part of the equation that a lot of folks that reach out to me are missing is that they're asking, just hire me right off the spot for, as opposed to what, why would we want you to be a partner in our business? Why would, what would we, you help us build and why, where would that help us on our path to success? Cause just adding people to a successful train. Yeah. We'll hire because I need to, to work less, <laughs> but that that's not really why we, we want to hire the right people from my perspective. So I think being a resource and adding value is the best advice I could ever give. These are the conversations we have all the time on the show. We've been doing this show for three years now. We're approaching 400 episodes now. And all it is, is we're trying to paint a picture for everybody out there of what the real world is like. And trying to share with them, like, it's not about your LinkedIn profile saying, I want to get a job that does this for me. It's about what value do you bring to an organization? Right. How are you right. going to make their organization better? Because somebody that's hiring, they, they have a need. They have a, something that, that there's an absence in their business. They need to bring in somebody that can fill that gap. So tell me how you can fix it. It used to be that you worked, you, part of the reason you had your college degree was to prove that you were resourceful enough to graduate with a degree. Unfortunately, there's just a mass amount of folks that have college degrees. It yep. doesn't hold the same cachet as it. Oh, Penn State, that's a good school. Well, yeah, but building a, building a network I learned a lot more caddying at a golf club than I ever did at Penn State in many ways. Yeah. But then being able to tap into that alumni base from Penn State has been helpful. I just think being able to show, even if you don't can't bring me an idea, bring me when I was in this club or this, I learned this and that helped me in your, that that would help me in your business. As opposed to if you give me an hour of your precious time and tell me what you need, I'll do it for you. I don't have that hour to give to every kid on LinkedIn. No, it's so true. And it's so spot on. And I'm so glad you're saying it too, because I'm sure everybody in this audience is tired of hearing me say it. So it's nice to hear it from you. Have another voice to it. I think we are so aligned here. I think the advice is amazing. Mike, thank you for coming on. I love this. You gave them so much to chew on. Thanks so much. Pleasure. Thank you so much for Mike coming on the show. He's so informative. I loved his perspective on the shift in sports agency. And that final point that he was making about how to get noticed and how he goes about hiring, there's so much tangible information about in there. And one of the things we talk about a lot on this show is the continual change and shift that you have to stay on top of. And Mike's sitting there saying he's been in this industry for a long time, and yet he's always seeing these changes happen. He's seeing how things adjust, and he's adjusting and looking ahead and, and seeing where we need to go rather than where we are. And I love that perspective. There's so much you should get out of this interview, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts because we are churning out amazing content, and I want you to always know what's out there for you to help you learn and grow on your journey into the sports industry. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week.